Okay, you can grab a wee seat, get comfy if you're at home. I just want to begin right now by uh, blessing you. So I, I bless you in Jesus' name today to be encouraged, to have courage, to have more courage, perhaps, to have your hope restored. Amen. All right, as I begin this evening, I have a confession that I want to make. And I'm making this confession today because Kelly isn't here today, and Kelly is always here. So this is my moment. Back in March 2020, in peak COVID hysteria, I took a church plant home and I killed it. Now, I didn't mean for it to die, and I didn't kill it straight away, obviously, but I essentially took it home with me to die. And it died slowly over months because I didn't know what it needed. I didn't know how much light it needed. I didn't know how much water it needed. It seems to be that no matter what you do with a plant, you're either overwatering it or underwatering it. I didn't know what the plant needed, and so it died slowly, day by day, over months. And then I hid it in a dark corner of our flat, and it died some more until Mary, in her great mercy, disposed of it eventually. I never meant for it to die. I meant for it to live. It was like in total lockdown panic, all of my irrational thinking was channeled towards the church plants. I was consumed with this mistaken fear that we were just going to be locked out of the church and we were going to watch as the plants died. So I thought in, in the spirit of that, that story where there's a girl who throws one starfish back into the sea one at a time, I thought, I can't save them all, but I can save one. So I took one home and I killed one and the others were fine because Kelly came in and she watered them. I want to share a little bit this evening about our third core value as a church family, which is we grow people. Now, if you're new here or you're visiting with us, uh, my name's Laura. Uh, firstly, nice to meet you. I am doing this usually every six or seven weeks. And as I've done that this year, I've been looking through our core values as a church. So we've already looked at uh, how we want to live with gutsy faith, people of gutsy faith. We've also looked at how we want to live prayer and Bible-saturated lives. And tonight, we're going to look at the final one, which is that we grow people. Now, when we were challenged to identify our core values as a church, it's all about basically identifying what you're already about. It's not about, like, picking them um, or choosing them from scratch, but it's about finding words to simply capture what we mean about who we are. So we could have named this something like, we are a church that is committed to the spiritual growth and development of everyone who comes in our doors, but we didn't because we wanted to more simply capture what we actually meant when we thought about how we are a church committed to growing together and helping each other grow with each other. I'm hoping that my plant confession illustrates something of how, to a certain extent, growth happens naturally. But also, God has designed things in such a way that growth happens under our care. We are involved in the process. There are natural laws, which means that we are involved in the growth of things and each other. For example, the plants in the building, they are here. They get some light. They get some heat. They get some air, naturally. But Kelly has positioned them very strategically. We turn the heat on. They are put where they need to be. She waters them for an hour and a half every week so that they become these beautiful monster monsteras that we know and love. When we come to know Jesus, we are given new life. We are given new birth into the family, family of God, and then we grow. Living things grow. And we grow into becoming more like Jesus and living out his plans and purposes for us 
Now, we didn't get to see in the Bible, we didn't get to see Jesus lead a church, which oftentimes I think is unfortunate because it would have been really nice to see how he did it, but we did get to see him gather friends and followers to himself and then do ministry with them. And so as we begin to think about this core value, this commitment to being a church that can say we grow people, I want to do so through the lens of Peter and a few moments in his life, not even all of the epic moments in his life, but just a few. So I want to start tonight just by looking at his starting point, because we all have one as we grow and grow each other. So I'm in Luke chapter 5, if you want to follow along. And we read here that Peter is one of the first disciples that Jesus calls to himself, at this point called Simon. And from verse 4, it says, when he'd finished speaking, so Jesus is teaching in uh, Simon's boat at this point, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This interaction is one where Peter or Simon experiences Jesus' miraculous power in a way that is so real to him, and others witness it as well, and they're amazed. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet, knees, and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They are astonished. They're amazed at what Jesus has done here. Peter falls to his knees. He leaves everything and follows Jesus. To be bold means to be willing to take a risk. And what I see here in this first Peter moment is that Jesus speaks and Peter's bold obedience unlocks something miraculous. He says, we've worked hard all night. We've not caught anything, but because you say so. Peter is left in awe. His companions are astonished. Their lives are turned around. They leave everything. They follow Jesus from that point. We want to be a church here that grows people. To grow people, we need to be a church where people are turning to Jesus. We need to be people around whom people are turning to Jesus. And I sense God saying that our boldness in this next era to come, our boldness will be a key. Our bold obedience will be something that will unlock what he wants to do, how he wants to act and astonish and lead people to himself, which will always be the beginning of their growth journey. If you're anything like me right now, you might feel like you're still wading through some of the disappointment of this season. Maybe COVID-related, maybe not related to that at all. Maybe you're looking at empty nets. But take heart, because Peter's nets were empty. They were tired. They had been out all night. They'd caught nothing. There was no lead. There was no tug. There was no visible sign of hope or of a catch coming. And yet, when Jesus speaks, he acts. He does the thing. He astonishes. And the more impossible, the more glorious he looks. If we dare to take him at his word as we step into this next season, we might uh, unlock something miraculous that he wants to do. We want to grow with people here by boldly obeying and watching God astonish. As we pray for our friends, for our family, as we pray for our city to be reawakened to who God is, I take great comfort here that we don't, I don't need to astonish anyone with my own glory. I don't need to be amazing. Oh, 
I don't need to be amazing. Emma, thank you. But I need to be obedient. We need to be obedient. We need to be bold. And that might unlock what God wants to do to astonish people to lead him to himself. As we pray for people to come to know Jesus, what is he asking us to do? What's he asking me to do? What's he asking you to do? What is he asking you to do in this moment? Okay, second Peter moment is in Matthew chapter 16, 14 to 18-ish. And here we see Jesus ask his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In the midst of speculation, some say this, some say this, some say this, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, and we see how Jesus responds to this by blessing him, and then by giving him a new name, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Simon is renamed Peter, meaning rock, because his testimony would be the foundation of the church that Jesus is going to build. Another example, Abram, renamed Abraham because he would be the father of many nations. Before he is, he is renamed we see this all throughout the Bible. God calls people who they are and who they will be. He calls us into who we will be. We're part of a generation. We're obsessed with self-discovery, not only discovering ourselves or finding ourselves, but making ourselves, self-actualization, figuring out what our potential is and then somehow, somehow fulfilling it. But as we grow here, we will find ourselves not only in who Jesus says we are right now, adopted, redeemed, accepted, chosen, loved, co-heirs with him, not only in who he says we are right now, but also what he speaks over our future, what he calls us to, who he tells us we're going to become in him as we grow in him. When we turn to Jesus, we are immediately changed. We're made new, the Bible says, as we're adopted into to God's family, and yet he continues to mold us, change us, grow us. I love how the Bible uses the imagery of uh, us as clay in the potter's hand. God is the potter. We are the clay, molded and remolded, filled with his presence, maybe poured out, broken, perhaps reformed, remade, bits of clay in his hand, not finished pots on shelves. We will grow people here by boldly speaking out their God-given identity and calling. Sometimes I think it sounds a bit Christian-y to talk about someone's calling. You know, what's my calling? I think my calling in life is this. You know, what's our calling? A bit, bit Christian-y, but it helps me when I think of God ahead of me, before me, calling me. You know, like literally beckoning me towards what my calling is, what he would have for me, who he would have me become. And he's doing that for everyone. He's always calling us into more. He's doing it for everyone around us. And if we wonder what difference does it make, what I have to say about anyone else's identity or calling, we read in Proverbs, in the book of James, that the tongue, what we say, has the power of life and death. The words that we speak over each other in this place and in this church family will literally speak life over people as they grow, or it will do the opposite. And because turning to Jesus is the start of the journey, and it matters that we speak words of life over people, we see that play out in our next Peter moment because we see how people who know Jesus, 
can find themselves in moments they never expected to be, in places they never expected to be. Peter says to Jesus in Matthew 26, 35, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter's given his new name after he testifies to knowing who Jesus is. But Peter then denies knowing him three times. I see how in, in Luke chapter 22, he sets up this contrast for us because at the start, he describes how Judas schemes to betray Jesus. He talks about Satan entering him and how he goes off to the chief priests and rulers and schemes and discusses, hatches a plan, arranges a fee, and then watches for an opportunity when Jesus is without a crowd at which to betray him. And then at the end of the chapter, as the story kind of plays out, we see Peter deny knowing Jesus three times. He'd said not long before, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison or to death. But don't we know how things can change when things play out differently to how we had expected them to? Because when Jesus is seized, his followers grab their swords, but Jesus says no, and he turns to the men who come to take him, and he says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. I paused on that this week because I was like, wait, what? <laughs> he, he said to them when like darkness reigns, darkness reigns. I know I've had times in my life where I have just felt like darkness reigns because it doesn't. <laughs> but even feeling like darkness reigns, the fear, the grief that comes with that, missed expectations, even if, if we feel like God hasn't been who we needed him to be or who we thought he was going to be, if he hasn't done what we thought he was going to do, it feels like darkness reigns. That can lead us to trip as we grow. And what the enemy wants to do in those moments is he wants to cover us with shame and keep us there. Peter finds himself where he said he would never be, and Luke tells us how he wept bitterly. You can imagine the scene. Maybe you can feel it in your gut. He wept bitterly. And there might be times in our lives where we find ourselves in Peter's place. And if not... <laughs> That's good for you, but you will probably find that there are people to your right and your left who will find themselves in a place like that, feeling ashamed. But let's look at Jesus, because Jesus predicts Peter's denial. And when I was in Sunday school when I was younger and we watched the sort of animated Bible stories play out, this was always the bit that got the spotlight, and there was like dramatic underscoring, and then it was like, Peter did it once, and you're like, oh no, and he did it again, you're like, no, and then he did it the final time, and you're like, oh, there he is, Jesus is right. But before Jesus says, you're going to deny me, he says, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. He calls it. But before he says, Peter, you're going to deny me, he says, Peter, you're going to turn back. He calls out his return. Before Peter falls away, he shows him the roadmap back. In Luke 22, 31, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. There's an enemy. That's who it is. And he's our enemy too. But Jesus has defeated him and he prays for Peter so then he says with confidence, when you have turned back, when you've turned back, you're going to turn back. And when you do, I've actually got a job for you to do, strengthen your brothers. We're not alive now by accident. We're not a church here in this city right now accidentally, but actually we are surrounded in our generation. It is full of prodigals, full of people who have turned away, who once had faith, who don't anymore. Maybe you have names that just pop to your mind straight away. I know that I do. Names from youth fellowship of days gone by, names from school, names from family, wherever. We see it all the time. 
And our church exists to lay the foundations for long-lasting reawakening. And what that reminds me is that, yes, we are desperate to see people come to know Jesus for the first time, but we are also called to go after people who need reawakened, reminded of who God is, of who they are. And our role in this is twofold. We even see that in Jesus here. We have to pray. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. And that makes me wonder, shouldn't that, should that prayer feature in my life more to pray for a friend that their faith wouldn't fail in dark times. We have to pray and we have to call people back and we have to say to them, when you come back, here is your spot. <laughs> it's ready for you. I was thinking a little bit about the lost sheep story Jesus told this week and it just struck me that the sheep that was lost would have started with the other sheep. It wasn't like an unrelated sheep. It had been part of the flock and it had wandered off. And as we grow people here, we will see people wander, we will see people step away, but we will also, maybe more commonly, just see people have a moment where they find themselves somewhere they never expected to be. And the enemy says, walk away in shame, you're done at that crossroads moment. But, the, but Jesus in us will say, no, come back, come in, here's your space. And perhaps more right now than ever, because fear and grief can lead any of us into dark spaces. We know this has been a time where that is rife. But we see that in Peter, that, that being in a dark space, tripping up in that moment, that in itself does not mean that his faith had failed. And if we believe that our faith has failed at the first hurdle, then we will believe that for other people too. And if we believe that for ourselves and we believe that for other people, then none of us, we will not grow beyond our first mistake. But if we follow Jesus in this, we won't ignore what happens, but we also won't define people as what happens, and we won't leave them there either. We'll call them back to keep growing. I can't help but note here that Jesus says, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. When you've turned back, lead. When you've turned back, step into who I called you to be, what I've named you. Strengthen your brothers. It's not when you come back, scrub the floor. <laughs> When you've come back, do some penance, earn your way back in. When you've come back, strengthen your brothers, lead, be who I've called you to be. And I wonder if today there are any of us who feel like we have been disqualified because of something that has happened. But we see in Peter that he's not disqualified from the calling that God put in his life, but he would have disqualified himself if he hadn't turned back. In the dark moments, we need to tell each other that Jesus is exactly who he has promised to be because we see that play out for Peter. The women go to the tomb and they find that Jesus is not dead and they run to the 11 disciples and Luke writes how in chapter 24, they did not believe the women, the other disciples, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He was ready, he was primed. Peter got up and ran to the tomb when he heard the truth. We grow people by boldly calling them back to what is true. Okay, our last Peter moment. And for this one, we're going to fast forward to after Pentecost, and we're in the book of Acts. And our context here is that Peter has healed a man. He and John have been preaching the gospel, getting into a bit of trouble because they're proclaiming Jesus is uh, resurrected from the dead. They're put in prison. They're brought before the Jewish leaders, and they are asked, by what power or name did you do this? And then we read this from Acts chapter 4. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished again. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. And if you skip a little further ahead to verse 29, Peter and John gather with the believers and they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy, holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God boldly. So here we have Peter, same Peter, but also very different Peter because this is Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He still carries the name that Jesus has given him, but now he's not only Peter. He is Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter 2.0, Peter upgraded, given the advantage, better camera, better battery life. As Christians, we are quite good at identifying as people who live post-resurrection. It's kind of um, like part of our Christian culture to be like, oh yes, but we're new covenant. You know, we're new covenant. You know, post-Sunday, Sunday's happened. You know, Jesus is alive. Yes, all good, all true, we do. We do live on that side of history, and that is important and significant, but how often, if ever, do we marvel and identify and celebrate that we are people who live after Pentecost? Do we ever? We don't live in that 50-day window between when Jesus had gone back to heaven and the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. We live after Pentecost, and that changes everything. We grow people here, and we grow here into the likeness of Jesus only by the power of the Holy Spirit in us and with us. I am Laura, filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is the only way I am going to grow into anything resembling what God has for me in this life. You are, whoever you are, filled with the Holy Spirit if you want to be. We're a church filled with the Holy Spirit. Please, Lord. It's why we grow. It's how we grow, and the Holy Spirit is who grows us. The grammar's wrong, but I hope it makes sense. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who fills us, grows us, enables us to grow. And crucially, time and time and time again, we see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit comes and fills the believers when they're together. And together they are filled with the Holy Spirit and made bold. Peter, full of good intentions. Jesus, you're out in the water. I want to come to you out in the water. Made bold claims. I will never deny you. But fear creeps in and he sinks or he's silent. But then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he addresses the leaders who can throw him into prison or worse. He says, um, 
we cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. He rallies the whole church in prayer, and together they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're made bold. They speak the Word of God boldly. When we are filled together with the Holy Spirit, we will become bolder. We'll be made bold. And church, it's, it's time to be bold. We know that. I think we can feel it in our gut as we step out into whatever the world is going to look like on the other side of this. We know it. It's time to be bold. The days of me being bashful about this are, need to be done. It's time to be bold. But if we want to be bold, the good news is that we can be made bold together. And we don't need to like muster it up within ourselves. But actually, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit who makes us bold, very bold, in fact, but we do it together. Jesus addresses the believers together in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You, plural, will receive power and become my witnesses together to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, the believers are together in one place in prayer when the Holy Spirit comes for the first time. And that promise is fulfilled. Believers pray for each other to be filled. Like Ananias to Saul, who then became Paul. In Acts chapter 13, the disciples face opposition and rejection, but together are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Paul writes letters, copious letters to churches in the New Testament, talking about the Holy Spirit, teaching about the Holy Spirit. And these letters would have been read out loud to the whole church together to learn how they were going to grow, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit was going to grow in them. And then they were going to grow into the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well together to be a body filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the pandemic has revealed a lot to us, but across our world, like nation to nation, no matter your background, no matter your story, we have seen that we're not made to be alone. We're not made to be alone. And then it makes sense to us, perhaps, that the church together, filled with the Holy Spirit, is God's plan for our growth, but also for everyone else's salvation. That is his plan. That is his first plan to reach the ends of the earth. And maybe the ends of the earth, I know to me it feels a little bit alien, a little bit out there. But it helps just to think, okay, every unreached person, every person without hope, the church is his plan. Us together, we are his plan. And we can maybe survive for a time on podcasts or watching from a distance by ourselves. But God's plan for our growth is that we would be like dirt in a pot, <laughs> all together, rubbing off each other, learning from each other, challenging each other, encouraging each other, helping each other, and calling each other into everything that God has called us to by the power of his Holy Spirit in us. And sure, it would be simpler, it would be less messy if we did it on our own, but this is one of our core values here at this church because we are committed to the incredible slog that it is to do this with each other. Now, lockdown birthed two types of people, maybe more, but I see two. And one of them is Gus Sterrett, okay, who, great support for Gus in the house. Uh, Gus took up new hobbies and he gussed them, okay? So like, took up photography and then the next week he's floating a microphone on his Instagram. He turned a kombucha scoby into a full-blown fermentation lab in his kitchen. He bought a barbecue and then cooked every meal on it for about five months. That's one type. The other type was me, who I thought, you know, kombucha's nice, I'd like some of that, but then I killed the scoby. I painted my flat, but it really could have used another coat. I bought seeds. I was going to grow potatoes. Just threw out weeds about three weeks later. Now, I'd like to point out that I'm not a quitter in aspects of my life where it really matters. I'm, I'm not a quitter. But with every single one of these endeavors, I give up. 
to grow each other here. We need to play the long game. We can't give up. We can't give up meeting together. We have to stick it out. We have to show up even when things are hard. We have to be consistent. We have to be regular. We have to be committed. We can't give up. We grow people here by being filled with the Holy Spirit together. We grow people. And I like that because it, me it doesn't mean some of us grow others here or the few grow the many, but it means we grow people. We grow here together. I need you and you need me and we need each other and God is always calling us into more. I have a couple of challenges today just as I finish and the first one is to get in the dirt. Take a step to get stuck in, to be surrounded, to be in the midst of it, to be together, whatever that means for you. I will let you seek God on that and decide what that means for you but there are so many ways to get in the dirt here. And it's actually very clean here, so that's nice. Second thing is, is there someone, maybe a name has come to your mind, is there someone that God wants you to be part of calling back to him? Is there someone who's wandered? Is there someone who's drifted? Is there someone who's having a hard time, who needs reminded of who they are, of who God has said they are, called back, welcomed back, shown to where their place is? And then the final one, which has now been added, the screens team are so great, Mary, thank you, is come along to Holy Spirit night. Because it's going to be a time set aside where we will ask, okay, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh together here in this place as we anticipate Pentecost. We're excited for that. It's significant. We'd love to have you here in the building, and we have lots of space, so come along. Okay, that's the challenges. I just want to pray for us before um, we go into this next time. And I, yeah, so if you want to close your eyes, if that helps you um, to kind of focus in, I just want to take a second and and pray for all of us, but I particularly right now just want to pray for anyone who this evening might feel like they are in a, a Peter moment where they feel like they are not where they expected to be. Maybe they feel ashamed. Maybe they feel like it's a dark place to be. Maybe you resonate with that picture of Peter weeping bitterly when he finds himself there. And we just have such a sense today that God is calling people back to himself. He wants you to turn back. Jesus is saying, come back to me, just as he prayed for Peter. So if that's you tonight and you're like, yeah, I want to turn back. I, I don't want to stay in this place. I hear the call of God in my life. I'm going to turn back to him. I know that he loves me. I know that he's for me. Then you can just pray something similar to what I'm going to pray right now. Jesus Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you see me here, wherever I am, whatever sort of place I'm in. And thank you that you call me back to yourself. You receive me with love as your child, accepted, forgiven, made new. I just turn back to you now. I give my life to you. I rededicate my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. And fill me with the joy that it is to know you, the joy of my salvation. Amen. And for all of us, God, right now, would you lead us and direct us in the way we need to go? Would you help us? God, if there's a step we need to take, speak to us. Direct us in that. And God, if there's things we... Um, are going to do in the lives of others, would you equip us, Holy Spirit, fill us, help us, 
Use us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.